Hello and welcome to Parkinson's Pathway Pals Tuesdays with Teresa. I'm Teresa Jackson, your podcast host. Today, my guest is Nicole Reynolds. Nicole Reynolds is an occupational therapist and certified health coach. She graduated from Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania with a master's in science in 2013. And she enjoys looking from a holistic lens when she works with people living with Parkinson's disease. She has over 10 years of professional experience working with those living with Parkinson's. She's certified in LSVT Big, uh, PWR Moves, and a certified dementia practitioner. Nicole has worked with many clients offline, but recently she's brought her practice online. She not only helps with movement, but also everything else that Parkinson's affects. She's particularly enjoys being, start again. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm having trouble reading tonight. I'll just edit out this. I'll just cut out this whole first part. All right, I don't know why I'm having trouble reading. That happens, I guess sometimes okay. It's all good. All right, um, here we go. Hello and welcome to Parkinson's Pathway Pals Tuesdays with Teresa. I'm Teresa Jackson, your podcast host. Today, my guest is Nicole Reynolds. Nicole Reynolds is an occupational therapist and certified health coach who enjoys looking from a holistic lens when working with people living with Parkinson's. She graduated from Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania with a master's in science in 2013. Since then, she has over 10 years of professional experience working with those people that, that have Parkinson's disease. Nicole is certified in LSVT Big Power Moves, or PWR Moves, and a certified dementia practitioner. She has worked with many clients offline and recently brought her practice online. Nicole not only helps with movement, but also everything else that Parkinson's affects. She particularly enjoys being able to tie movement into function when working with her clients. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, I think there's always a lot of confusion around occupational therapy and physical therapy, maybe not always, but frequently. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today. First, tell me how you became interested in working with people living with Parkinson's disease. Yeah, to make a story not too long, but uh, I started as an occupational therapist working in a rehab facility and nursing home. So that was kind of where I started kind of at my ground zero as an occupational therapist. And I saw everything across the board, orthopedic, neurological, chronic conditions, cardi, you know, cardiac conditions, everything. And I really gravitated toward the neurological aspect of uh, treatment and recovery. So fast forward, maybe four years, my grandmother got diagnosed with Parkinson's. So I had already been practicing as a therapist and I saw my grandmother with this diagnosis and I said, okay, well, it's not that bad. I mean, there's a lot of worse things, right? You know, well, I slowly watched her change as the years progressed. She was about in her seven mid seventies. Um, actually, actually they were shortly after her husband passed, uh, that she was diagnosed. So I watched it kind of take over her life. Uh, and then I found out her brother got it as well. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what the heck is going on? This is like an epidemic. Like it's just spreading like wildfire. And so I decided, you know, something, there's got to be more to the therapy than just doing exercise. And I saw it was good, but I just felt like it wasn't enough. So I did a lot of research and that's how I found about, out about LSVT big and the power moves or the Parkinson's wellness recovery. 
moves and how there's specific protocols and actually specific exercises and movement patterns that people with Parkinson's need to be doing. And I, I realized the traditional exercise, the traditional movement, traditional therapy is not enough. And I found the, you know, the um, effects of these neurological based treatment approaches had so much more benefits to people with Parkinson's than the regular therapy. So that's kind of, I kind of carved that niche for myself. And I basically hit the ground running. I started doing outpatient therapy locally and kind of carved that hole out for myself and networked a lot. And I've seen tremendous results. And so here I am bringing it online. It's just, it's really incredible to actually see it in front of your eyes. Yeah, you know, I think with um, the current situation that we're in with the pandemic, moving things online um, has been very beneficial for people living with Parkinson's and, and people with other chronic diseases that now might be able to access care, even when the pandemic wasn't here, that they may have been in rural areas where they were not able to access care. So I think there's a big market out there um, in order to not only be beneficial for the practitioner, but certainly beneficial for the person living with Parkinson's. So Mm -hmm. let's start out by um, telling me or telling our listeners, you know, what exactly is occupational therapy? So occupational therapy is all about function. It's about your activities of daily living. Okay. So occupational therapy, you can work with infants birth up until, you know, your end of life. Okay. So Occupation means what occupation at your time of life. Okay. So for example, someone who works with children, their primary occupation is school is play is learning. So that is what the therapist works on those developmental skills in that area. Someone like me who works with older adults, my area of occupation is not necessarily going back to work because these many people are retired, not all of them, but The ones that are, the occupation is now just living life, living independently, not losing that independence, aging in place, being able to stay home, being able to get out of the bed, get into the bathroom, into the shower, maneuver around the kitchen, uh, stand up just from the couch, you know, be able to just do the basic functional skills to continue to live at home independently, to just continue to live your life. And it's all about quality of life, especially as we age. Um, so it's teaching, it's educating, it's modifying, it's doing all the things to keep people at home. At least that's with older adults. Um, it's all about where you are in your life and keeping you independent. Your occupation, right, is not always work. Your occupation is just your day-to-day life. Someone say, my, my occupation might be getting up, getting my coffee, going outside and reading the newspaper every morning. I love that. And that is what I love, what I love to do. So that's what we're going to work toward keeping them independent with what they feel is their occupation. Okay. Um, If someone were to ask you, like, what is the difference between occupational therapy and physical therapy? And you just had to draw a line and say, you know, the left side is occupational, the right side is um, physical. What are the main differences that people might need to understand? The biggest thing, if I could just say it short and sweet, is OT is all about function in your day-to-day life, your activities of daily living. Physical therapy is a lot more on the biomechanics, okay? Meaning the muscle strength, your range of motion, pain management, uh, the biomechanical part of your body to get you to be able to do X, Y, and Z. 
there's um, something that floats around the internet. I see it every once in a while. It says your physical therapist will teach you how to walk. Your occupational therapist will teach you how to dance. So it's the basic functional skill of walking, but where OT comes in, it's like, okay, I get it. You can walk from A to B, but can you maneuver in your kitchen to go get yourself a cup of milk? Can you maneuver in places to get in and out of the shower? So we tie a lot of movement to function and there is some overlap, but PT is very biomechanical based and OT is very function based. So it's really that application of what you may have learned or improved on in physical therapy into your daily life. Yep. And that's why it's always nice to have the combo of both, you know, where one improve, you guys, we both work together uh, differently, but together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Um, so I know that people that are living with Parkinson's, um, you know, dementia is our cognitive decline is always a concern. How does OT work with people with dementia or with some sort of cognitive decline in order to better their lives? One big thing with the difference between OT and PT as well is when I was in OT school, we relied heavily on a lot of the neurological aspect of um, just chronic conditions and just aging in general. Uh, We've done a lot of cognitive testing, learned a lot of that. Um, a lot more than the PTs. So we are, you know, qualified to give different cognitive tests and like interpret that as well. So we tie cognition into a lot of what we practice and what we do. Uh, It's huge. Um, Cognition, not just meaning, do you remember what you ate for breakfast, but cognition also meaning attention to task, your ability to you know, attend to what you're doing and not be distracted. That is cognition, multitasking, dual tasking. That's cognition as well, not just memory. A lot of people just think I can't remember my cognition is bad, but also being able to prioritize um, is, is huge in cognition. And I see that a lot with the aging population. I mean, with everyone, not just people with Parkinson's, but How does that, what does that look like in terms of application? Because I think, you know, um, there's a lot of people that uh, may have trouble, you know, multitasking after they have been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And in fact, I know a lot of people that if you're talking to them when they're trying to complete a task, it, they just can't do it. It's like, I need you to be quiet so that I can, I can finish this test. So what, what does it look like when OT works with someone to help them gain in that area? So I always like to focus gross motor before fine motor. I think that is huge. I think when I'm trying to do a treatment of multitasking, we, for example, will walk with big steps, but also maybe throwing a big ball in the air. So more gross motor, right? A giant ball, you're using more big muscles in your arms, legs, we're walking with big steps. We're using more of those gross mo- uh, motor movements. Uh, the whole, you know, walking and talking and chewing gum at the same time, that's not something I would just immediately put someone into or writing down their name or writing down the grocery list and having someone speak to them. That's more fine motor. And that's really, really tough. So if we can nail down the gross motor, I mean, even things like being able to walk into a room with the television on is multitasking in itself because you all of a sudden your attention is diverted to what's going on the TV and everything 
my, you know, everything we just did went out the window, you know, because we're not prioritizing what's important and that's multitasking and that's dual tasking, but that's also more gross motor using different senses. That's a whole other rabbit hole, but we also like to incorporate different senses. You know, your auditory and visual are huge and your proprioception is a sense as well. So it's, there's a lot that goes on and I can tell you from everyone I've worked with, there's never been one set protocol on how to attack cognition and multitasking and dual tasking. It's always trial and error. And the more you work with someone, the more you learn, you know, what works and what doesn't. So maybe you can expand a little bit on why it's so important um, or why is OT in the home so important for carryover? I've, I'm, I love this question because I actually worked both. So I've been in a facility at brick and mortar where they came to me and we did everything in the office and I transitioned to home because the carryover was not there like it was in the home. So for example, stepping through doorways. Okay. That's a big one with freezing. A lot of times the doorway people get stuck. So we practice the doorway forever in the office, but you know, you go home and you're trying to go through the doorway to get into the bathroom and we get stuck, right? That generalizing, mastering, carryover is not there. Um, mastering and generalizing is another term that is very tough for people with Parkinson's. And that is being able to carry over what was learned into your normal day-to-day life. And so I'm trying to eliminate that barrier as much as possible. And that's why I feel like being in the home is so much better because we don't have that need to generalize because we can actively do it in real time and not have to carry it over. We're eliminating that step completely. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I don't know if there's any connection to this, but I think of uh, when you're describing this, I think of like muscle memory, you know, that uh, when you've done it in your own place and you've done it repetitively, it just comes back more naturally than if you're doing it in a rehab situation it would maybe come back more naturally at rehab if you went back there, but to Mm -hmm. make it functional in your own home, I can see how that would be um, very important. It definitely Uh, is. Yeah. No, please go ahead. I just want to say that the automatic becomes not so automatic, right? So that's the thing. The things that used to be automatic don't feel as automatic anymore. And that's why I love being in the home because we can, you know, you've got the visual, you've got all the senses working together that's saying, okay, I'm just going to walk through this door versus yeah, in the rehab place, you walk through the front door, but you do that what twice a week, you know what I mean? It's not, not, not multiple times a day because you're in the bathroom all the time. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So what is the functional application and give me some examples of that. And functional application in terms of what would you like functional um, application for OT in the home? Yeah, just just some more, just kind of expand, yeah, I guess, sure. on what you've been talking about, the doorway, but maybe provide some additional examples that would um, ring true for some people if they're hearing this this podcast today. So functional applications, for example, uh, in the in the gym, we could do a lot of turning. A lot turnings are turning is a big issue, right? So we could put cones, we could put obstacles, we could put all these things down on the floor and work on turns and you could be fantastic. And then I say, go get that cup of milk from the fridge and all of a sudden we can't turn, right? So we have not mastered, we have not generalized, we have not 
mastered a skill at all because here we are trying to carry it over and it's not working. So that's functional application where I don't bring those things to the home. I don't bring the props. I don't bring the things because it's not realistic. So we need to focus on your body, your awareness, mindfulness. We practice, I mean, we'll open that fridge 20 zillion times if we have to, to just practice where everything needs to be. Again, you said muscle memory, which that's it. It is muscle memory, right? We need our brains to approach an object and be like, oh yeah, that's how we need to move. And the only way is repetition. We need to just keep repeating and keep hammering that into the brain. So that's a big one. I think turning and maneuvering in the kitchen is a really, is a really big one that I see opening the door, you know, to like go out of the home is hard to, there's a lot of backward stepping. So we do a lot of backward stepping, getting in and out of the car, believe it or not, when you open the car door, a lot of times you have to take a step back. Otherwise you're going to whack yourself in the face with the car door. Um, whether you're in the passenger side or the driver's side. So we do a lot of backward stepping because it's really scary for a lot of people, but it's, it's very natural. We have to step backwards. You know, a lot of doctors say, don't walk backwards. Don't do this. Don't do that. But I mean, when it comes to real life, there are situations where we really have no choice. I mean, not that we have to walk backwards, like a lot, but there's, you don't believe how many times you take that one single step backwards just to get in the car, just to open the fridge. There are times when you have to. So I don't, I don't eliminate any type of movement with any of my clients because it's necessary sideways, forward, backwards. I mean, you have to do it to function. So I do, I step, we do a lot of backward stepping, I think. And then sometimes in the shower, which I, you know, don't encourage because it's slippery, but they're sidestepping, right? To get in the shower, you need to step up and sideways. So we do a lot of sidestepping that's forward, that's backwards. And that actually can increase your balance by, you know, staggering your feet a little bit with a wide base of support too. I encourage that for people that my people who get stuck and freeze, I encourage that they don't stand with their feet together um, in parallel, they kind of stagger them just a little bit. And that really offsets the freezing. So there's a lot of little things that can be taught. Um, and then that it all ties to function. I mean, everything we do is function, right? So is this pretty, um, I don't want to say permanent because obviously the disease is progressive, but once you come into someone's home and, and you've worked with them, is this something that in six months they need another reevaluation and, and they need to have more work or is it something that stays for quite a while or is it dependent upon the patient's um, progression? It depends on the progression. It depends on the patient. Uh, I know we've talked about this before. Uh, I think Parkinson's is also a perceptual disease as much as it is a neurological and progressive disease. Uh, so from my experience, the exercises, a lot of times they need kind of like a tune up because they're maybe not uh, pushing it hard enough or big enough or long enough or wide enough or whatever it may be. And they just need someone to kind of recalibrate, I guess, the brain. Uh, so yes, I mean, it is forever. Uh, apathy, we've talked about that too. You know, apathy is a real thing that a lot of people experience. And sometimes outsiders just given a little nudge can be helpful. Sometimes the spouse isn't enough, you know, sometimes someone else outside looking in is helpful. So yes, uh, to answer your question, I do recommend uh, working together. I mean, I have some people that are kind of life, lifelong, you know, they've been in years 
um, doing this, but I'm basically like, I'm their cheerleader. I'm their coach. I'm their, their everything in life to keep them going. And I'm their eyes too. you know, seeing them so much, learn the behaviors, learn how they respond to exercise and activity. Um, so I'm kind of that also, I'm not the doctor, but I can also say, Hey, maybe, you know, something's weirds going on. Maybe it's time to call them, you know, kind of, so I'm that person as well. So I've seen great success with people who kind of who do stay long-term, but yeah, I could do reevaluation every six months that could work too. But I've noticed if they just stop everything kind of, they kind of fall off the wagon a little bit. Yeah, I know. Um, unfortunately insurance plays a role in that. So I'm sure there are some people that would like to continue all the time, but you know, their insurance might not allow them. So that's why I asked that question. Um, you know, when I read through your bio the first time, um, we, we, you listed and we talked about several programs available to people living with Parkinson's. And one of those are the LSVT big program. The other is Parkinson's wellness recovery program or the PWR power moves. And then I know that you're a certified dementia practitioner. Um, let's kind of break down each of those programs, the LSVT and the Parkinson's wellness recovery. And then if you can talk a little bit more also after that about, um, you know, how you work with dementia as a dementia practitioner, because I know that many people, that's probably one of the biggest fears when you're diagnosed with Parkinson's after the initial shock wears off is, will I be in that 50 or maybe even up to as many as 80% of people that develop dementia with Parkinson's. So um, expand on that a little bit for us. Sure. So LSVT big stands for Lee Silverman voice treatment. It was developed by a speech therapist. Um, so that's the LSVT loud program. So what it is, is it's four times a week for four weeks. It's a complete protocol standardized. Uh, and the whole premise for the big program is to get you moving bigger, to help with balance, help with gait, help with stability, help just your movements in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, four times a week for four weeks, they're one hour sessions. Uh, it's an intensive program. It's high energy. It's getting you outside your comfort zone. It's big steps forward, sideways, backwards, rocking, twisting. So hip rotation, uh, length of your stride length, uh, the hip swing when you walk, the arm swing. There's a lot of arm swinging involved. So there's about seven, seven exercises and it's standard across the board. And then we tie function into that. So then on day one, you write uh, 10 things that you want to improve functionally. Anything you want, getting up from the toilet, getting out of the bed making a meal. Honestly, it's anything you want. So then that's the second half of the program. It's working on those functional skills to help promote independence there and what's important to you. So you, it's a rating scale. So you rate it from unable to complete up until minimal, up to minimal difficulty. And so we kind of approach it based on where, where the scale is, where you kind of mark those. So that's four times a week for four weeks. It's standard. Uh, it's available. I don't know if it's worldwide, but nationwide, at least, um, I think it's worldwide. And so then power moves is Parkinson's wellness recovery. So that is more exercises and they kind of, the LSVT big program was actually made after the power moves was developed. And they kind of took some of the exercises from there and modified them a little bit, but it's a series of exercises. I mean, it's lying down, it's standing, it's sitting, it's every direction you can think of. A lot of it's crossing midline bilateral movement up on the floor, prone, supine, quadruped, like it's literally every position. And there's actually some yoga moves in there, but it's 
the power part of it is because it's one rep, but it's like big and it's a power. You don't want to do anything kind of 50%. You want it all with intention. And so you can kind of mix and match. I use the power moves when I help people uh, with functional skills, like in the kitchen, we'll do a lot of reaching for things like on high shelves, but put power into it. So put that vigor and that intent into the movements. So I tie a lot of the power moves into the functional things that we do, whether it's lifting the foot up to get it in the shower, but the more the power, the aggression, the aggression with the moves. Um, so that's power moves. So that's not a specific protocol, but it's really helpful with people with Parkinson's and any type of movement disorder. And then as far as the certified dementia practitioner goes, so with that, I guess it just depends where, you know, there's so many different levels. If it's a, someone who's just has short-term memory loss, it'll be modifying in the fact of the pill box or making a list or putting your clothes out, you know, the night before you go to bed, um, like little tips and tricks like that, just to make life easier and not so stressful. Um, sometimes when it's like, there's a lot of good things going on. It's too stressful. So that's kind of beginning stages. Make a list, the pill box, simplify as much as possible. Uh, the latter stages of the dementia um, is more modification when we're kind of past the remediation phase, being able to like use a list and use stuff like that. It's more modifying the environment uh, more than anything, whether it's... Um, say brushing the teeth, you know, whether it's putting it on the counter now, instead of keeping it in the drawer, that would be modifying or using an electric toothbrush versus a manual toothbrush would be an example of modifying. Uh, sleeping on the side of the bed closer to the bathroom because, you know, the, that has gone, that's more frequent. That's an example of modifying the environment. Um, so things like that trying to reduce stress, but modifying to make things simpler. So it just depends where in the stage um, they are as far as where dementia goes and, you know, the memory loss. Um, so that's why I decided to get my certification as a dementia practitioner is I've worked with a lot of people, not even just in the home, but also when I was with the rehab facility in the nursing homes. I mean, I've seen every level pretty much imaginable with dementia. And it was really interesting to me. And being an OT, we're pretty much pros. I mean, I'm biased, obviously, to modifying and adapting to our environments. Um, so that's where I kind of thought it was really just interesting to me. And I wanted to be an expert in that. So Gotcha. Um, I just want to swing back to the LSVT Big and Loud program real quick and just ask, is that done in a group setting or is that individual based? Uh, LSVT Big is individual. It has to be one-on-one -on -one for the full hour. Uh, there is a thing called Big for Life, which uh, if you are certified in the LSVT Big program, you are eligible to be certified for the Big for Life. Big for Life can be a group setting. It's people who've already completed the LSVT big program. So they're familiar with the exercises, kind of familiar with how things go. Big for life is kind of that could be offered twice a month. It could be a group setting just to do the big exercises, just to keep things calibrated or keep things going, if you will, to keep people motivated. 
So big for life can be group. That's after the kind of the prerequisite if someone does the LSVT big program. And you can find that on the website, the lsvtglobal.com, the people who are big for life and LSVT big certified. All right. Well, thank you for um, clarifying that. Um, also in your bio, you mentioned that you work with the everything else that, a par- you know, that Parkinson's affects. Can you expand on what the everything else might be and then how an OT can help address those things? Yeah, so everything else. So I got into that actually is really funny because I was doing with the insurance, it's a lot of it is objective measures. So you need to show progress in X, Y, and Z area, yada, yada, yada. So I got my, that's why I got my certified uh, health coaching certification because I felt I was talking to people about sleep, nutrition, stress, everything else that Parkinson's affects. People would come into my office and say, I'm so tired. I just didn't sleep well last night. And how am I supposed to expect someone to perform at their maximum potential if they're not sleeping or they're not eating optimally? So that's kind of where that light, that fire was lit. (laughs) And it just seemed very important to me because it was kind of like putting the cart before the horse saying, let's exercise and move and give give me all this high energy and give me all this 110%. But I was up all night going to the bathroom and I slept for maybe three hours and I was restless or I didn't eat breakfast this morning. I wasn't hungry, you know, so, and there's no energy. So I found myself tackling that beast, you know, and it's out in itself. And that's where I found a real passion for that because I found more results when we actually looked at almost the root cause of these issues versus just trying to power through it. You just can't run. Can you repeat that? I had a little glitch in our, um, I heard you say you just can't run. And then we have a little glitch. There, <laughs> you just can't that. run on a quarter tank of gas. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, sleep issues are very common in people living with Parkinson's. Um, and I, so I, when I hear you talk about this, everything else, I kind of, in my mind, categorize that as non-motor symptoms and sleep being a really, really big one. So if you have, uh, if you have a way to manage that, that is certainly worth gold. Um, Nicole, what else as we as we um, end today, what else would you like our listeners to know about occupational therapy? I want people to know occupational therapy is more than fine motor skills. That is the number one thing. I want people to know occupational therapy is more than handwriting. I want people to know that occupational therapy is more than buttons and zippers. Okay. It's, it is that, but it's so much more than that. I think it's an extremely underutilized profession when it comes to all sorts of rehab, but particularly Parkinson's disease. I think balance and mobility has kind of overshone everything. And then it's like, and, but the functional piece has really been put to the wayside. And I don't think people realize OTs are fully capable of working on movement and balance and strength and endurance indirectly by also implementing function, cognition, that dual task, multitasking, bringing in that mindset and that mind piece that is often forgotten about, you know, we all want to walk better, but what about your, what about being able to 
walk and talk at the same time or, you know, be able to walk into a room and not get stuck or not lose all sense of mobility. That is OT because that is function. And I'm really passionate about that because I hear people say, oh, it's, it's, it's handwriting and it's buttons and zippers. And it's like, well, it is, but it's more. So if I could ingrain anything into anyone's head, OT is so much more than just fine motor. <laughs> very, very good. Um, if, if somebody would like to get in touch with you, whether they want to seek your services or they have additional questions, how would they do that? Yep. So you can head to my website, um, optimaldailyliving.com. And there's a bunch of contact forms on there. I'm on Instagram under optimal daily living. I have a Facebook page, optimal daily living. I actually have a Facebook group called, um, Parkinson's optimal daily living community. And then you can also email me, uh, at Nicole at optimaldailyliving.com. So there's plenty of ways you can send me a message on any platform and I'll respond. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Nicole, for sharing your expertise with our listeners. And I'd like to thank the listeners today for listening and don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you Tuesday. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You bet. (laughs)